Ephesians chapter 2. Last week, if you were here for our service, God blessed us with just a tremendous day all day. Uh, last Sunday, we ordained Matt and Will to serve our church as elders. And then uh, last Sunday evening at 5 o'clock, we had um, our Bible preaching and teaching class. Yeah, Children's Church are dismissed at this time. Sorry, I'm supposed to say that and I always forget. Um, and uh, we had a fantastic turnout for that. And uh, I'm eager, I'm hopeful that at the end of Matt's class, I too will be a better preacher and teacher of God's Word. So you can cross your fingers and hope for the best. I'm not, Matt, will it decrease the amount, of, like will I get shorter? Will I, will I get, that's okay. <laughs> Miracles can happen. Take your Bibles, please, and open them to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, um, I am not yet ready to start out of Exodus. Lord willing, next Sunday we will start a, a Bible series from the book of Exodus. And um, I need a little more time to get my head around the, Bible, uh, the book of Exodus before I dive into t- t- the first lesson from the book of Exodus. But I am genuinely eager to start um, preaching from the book of Exodus. And Lord willing, next Sunday we will start there. Um, and in the meantime, the Lord's directed my heart to this passage. Um, it's a passage that I've actually used in conversation um, even very recently uh, with someone as I was explaining the gospel to them and thought, I think it's a passage that we need to return to from time to time for us to get our... I mean, sometimes even those of us who know the gospel well need to have almost like the reset button pushed in our hearts and in our minds. Um, in the beginning, in Romans chapter 1, Paul, writing to the believers at Rome, says, I'm eager to come and preach the gospel to you who are believers in Rome. And usually when we think about preaching the gospel or teaching the gospel, we think about presenting it to people who don't know Christ as their Savior. And in the book of Romans, Paul is saying, I'm eager to come to those of you who do know Christ as your Savior and preach to you the good news of the gospel. So this morning, I realize there are many in here who already know Christ as their Savior, and there may be many in here this morning who don't yet know Christ as your Savior. And so I'm eager this morning to preach the gospel to Liberty Baptist Church once again. Ephesians chapter 2, Lord willing, we do that every Sunday. I'm going to do it very directly, as directly as I know how this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. So I'll invite you to follow along quietly. I'm going to read those verses, these verses out loud. One of my favorite passages of Scripture says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Do you know that that you means you? Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we all, we all once lived. And the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, if you don't have those verses highlighted or underlined or circled or something, do it. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. 
and raised up with him and seed and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god it is not a result of works so that no one can boast we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them spirit of god please come and help us see what we need to see in this passage in Jesus name amen okay so i have a picture here of a couple of different families on the screen. Here we go. These are not real families. I, I mean, they might be real families, but they're just pictures that I got off Google. I don't know these people. I'm going to make up a story about them. I want you to believe the story, okay? So here we have John and Bill. Let's say John is the guy in the top left, and Bill is the guy in the bottom right. And John and Bill are both great guys. They're both the kind of neighbors that you would want to have. They look out for others. They keep an eye out in the neighborhood. These guys go to church. They love their wives. They spend good quality and quantity time with their kids. They give financially to their respective churches. They read their Bible a few days a week. They volunteer in their community. They pray with their family before meals. They both believe in God and Jesus. Right? Look at these guys. You'd almost think that they were like models. They are. Bill and John. One of them will spend eternity experiencing eternal life in the new heavens and new earth with God after they die. And the other will spend eternity separated from God experiencing eternal death in hell. What's the difference? What's the difference? Now again, please understand. I don't know, these aren't, these aren't, I mean, they are real people because there's a photograph of them. But, like, I don't know these, I'm making this story up. What's the difference? I mean, on the outside, they both look the same. You would want either of these families as your neighbor. You would let them watch your children while you're gone for a week. You would leave them the keys to your house, right? Like they're both upstanding, honorable people. What's the difference if one of them will spend eternity in heaven and the other will spend eternity in hell? What's the difference? Is the difference what they do? Or is the difference why they do what they do? Brothers and sisters, the passage that we're going to look at this morning 
is going to make it abundantly clear that why we do what we do, what we believe motivating what we do, is the key to answering this question about what's the difference. My main point this morning is this. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. And I have two points to my sermon this morning. And I know that you think a sermon has to have three points in order for it to be a good sermon. But it's only got two points this morning. Point number one is this. Salvation is not a result of good works. Now, when I use the word salvation, there's a lot of other words that we use as a synonym for the word salvation. We might talk about conversion or being born again or being saved or or, or experiencing new life, right? There's a lot of different ways that we refer to this this thing happening in us where we go from, look in Ephesians chapter 2, where we go from being dead in our trespasses and sins and then following verse verse 4 and following, being made alive together with Christ. We who are alive, verse 5, are made alive. Excuse me. We who were dead are now made alive. There's a lot of different words that we use to describe that. What I'm talking about is that thing that we often refer to as salvation is not a result of your good works. Verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. Let's just walk through the phrases of these two verses together this morning. First of all, it says, by grace. By grace, you have been saved. And the word grace simply means that you get what you don't deserve. Grace is you getting what you don't deserve. If if someone is mean, bad, and unkind, you're probably not going to give them a Christmas present. But let's say that you give a Christmas present to that mean, bad, and unkind person. You are a gracious person. You're giving graciously to them. It's the undeserved favor, the undeserved gift of God. Grace, grace is the hands which extend the gift of God to us. By grace, we have been saved. Look, look at, uh, earlier in verses 2 and 3, when, when we are described as people who are dead in our sins and we follow the course of this world and we are uh, carrying out the passions of our flesh, living according to the Spirit that works in disobedience. This is describing us. We're the bad kid who doesn't deserve a Christmas present. And yet... Verses 8 and 9 talk about how Christ has given to us, by grace, this gift of salvation. Salvation comes to us by grace, though we don't deserve it, and it comes to us by faith. By grace through faith. And I would argue from this passage and other places in Scripture that even your faith is a gift from God. You have been saved Uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith. The grace and the faith are not your own doing. They are a gift of God. If grace is God's hands extending to you the gift of salvation, faith are your hands reaching up to receive that gift from God. And again, I believe God is the one who gives us even the faith to raise our hands toward Him. By grace, through faith, and it is not of works. Why do you think Paul is explaining to the believers at this city in Ephesus 
Why is he explaining to them that their salvation is not by works? I think it's because almost every human being starts off assuming it is. It's just kind of hardwired into us to think, I'm going to behave myself and God's going to be happy with me. If I can just be gooder, it's not a word, I know, I know, I know. If, if I can just keep my nose clean, if I can just kind of get my act basically together, if I can just go to church, like uh, then, then I can be the kind of person that, that gets into heaven someday. But Paul is making it very clear, we're to receive this from God, that it is not by works. Verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. You know what it is to receive a gift from someone. If I say to you, I have $100 and I'm going to give it to you, what do you have to do to receive it? You take it from me, and the gift is yours. If I say, I have a gift of $100, but you have to cut my grass every week for a month, is it a gift? No, it, it's payment for, for services that you've extended to me. And, and what we do, what the human heart does, is assume that God will give me the gift, but any, any other um, experience in my life is, is that I, I earn what I have, right? Like, and especially kind of Texas America, right? Like, um, we, we're going to earn we're going to earn our keep. We're going to earn our way. We're going to, like, no one's going to say that someone else did this for me. I did it my way, right? Bring Frank Sinatra to Texas. I did it my way. It's Frank Sinatra in Texas. But, but the Scriptures make it clear that salvation is a gift, and a gift is something that you didn't earn, that you simply received. Grace, salvation are obviously from God. It's a gift, and it's a gift that you can't work for. And again, this passage, um, verse, verse 9, not a result of works. It's not something that you keep your nose clean and you say your prayers and you read your Bible and you go to church and you do good to other people and you just try to edge out everybody else. And as long as you're at the top of the good, you know, Santa's good list, then you will achieve salvation. It's not how it works. In fact, not only is it not how it works, but Paul even says, because you're going to brag about it, if it was that way, you'd be proud that you beat everybody else out for the top spot in heaven. Um, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul knows that the brag, the braggart, the, the pride, the arrogance that's in all of our hearts would love being able to earn salvation. One pastor says, Christians should be uncomfortable in the presence of pride. They should see its incongruity. So, 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 um, so salvation comes to us by grace, through faith, not a result of our works. When we talk about, in verse 8, being saved, uh, by grace you have been saved through faith, the word saved needs to mean more to us than it does. 
In verse 1 of this chapter, it says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. When we think about God saving us, we tend to think of it this way. I was mediumly bad. I needed a little help. And when God saved me, He kind of made me just a better version of me. Um, but like, but I was... I wasn't drowning. I, I might have made it to shore, but God kind of gave me a little help and he pulled me into safety and like that's how I was saved. Or maybe you might even think a thought like this. I was drowning, but I had like the strength and the ability to see, oh, Jesus is a good thing. I'll take his life preserver and now I'm saved. But none of those describe what Ephesians 2 is clearly saying. Ephesians 2 is saying you were dead at the bottom of the lake. You had drowned. You, you weren't going to figure it out. You weren't going to earn your way. You didn't have a way of getting there. You needed salvation. You needed someone else to do 100% of the thing you needed. You needed someone else to do it completely for you. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear that the way this happens is Jesus Christ came to earth and the life that you were supposed to live, honoring your father and mother and not lying and not stealing and not coveting and remembering the Lord's day and not taking the Lord's name in vain, all of the things that you were supposed to do but you failed to do, Jesus came and he did them and he did them all perfectly. And the punishment that you deserve for having failed in all of those areas, Jesus Christ took the wrath of God upon himself at the cross. And so Jesus lives the life that you were supposed to live, and he receives the punishment that you were supposed to receive, so that if you will, with hands of faith, say, I'll take the gift. I'm going to put my trust, Jesus, in what you did, and not in anything I have done, zero, not anything I have done then you will be saved. It is by grace alone, not by works. I said my main point this morning is this, that the gospel is good news. And I use those two words, good news, very intentionally. Good news, the word gospel literally means good news. And we use the word gospel and we use the phrase good news all the time. But let's be clear that the good news and good advice are two very different things. Good advice is me telling you, here's what you need to do in order to make God happy with you. Be a good person, uh, you know, give money to the church, go to church, take care of other people, right? look out for orphans and widows, do all the good things, do those good things and, and you will be okay. That's advice, right? That's me recommending a way of life for you that will hopefully earn for you salvation. But that's not what the gospel is. The good news about Jesus is that in every way in which you failed, Jesus Christ came and succeeded. See, I think even Christians need to remember this because you and I think of ourselves as better than other people who aren't Christians. It's wicked, it's disgusting, it's prideful, but we do it. And we need to remember none of us, even those of us who understand, you could stand up here and preach this same message instead of me. You understand it just perfect. You understand it better than I do. None of us stand here in our own works that are like impressive to God. It's not. 
the gospel is good news, not good advice. And now, before I jump into point number two, I'm going to add to my main point. My main point, I said, was the gospel is good news. Now I'm going to add to it. The gospel is good news that results in good works. And it is not the other way around. We cannot get the cart before the horse. And many religions get the cart before the horse. Oh, she doesn't like it either. The gospel is good news that results in good works, and it's not the other way around. So that brings us to point number two. Salvation does result in good works. And I'm making that statement just as directly and just as clearly as the first point, because this passage makes it that clear. Look in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. That, that phrase, created in Christ Jesus for good works, what that, the, to be in Christ is, is, is better news than we know. To be in Christ is what saves us. And when we're, when we're saved, we are, we are created, we're born into, we are born into Christ, and being born into Christ is for the purpose of good works. It puts God's glory on display. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. From the beginning of creation, God's plan is that people would come to be born, to be saved, to be created in Christ, and to walk in the good works that He has for us. So, so to understand that you are saved by grace through faith, and it is not of your works, gives you the foundation. It gives you the peace in your soul to go, I, I don't have to perform. I, I, when God looks at me, he sees Jesus Christ's righteousness. And I'm safe because of Christ. End of discussion. Incredibly good news. And because that's true, I actually want to live for him. That's the motive of the redeemed heart. Look, um, he, it says we are his workmanship. That word workmanship, that Greek word there, has the idea of, of, of um, we are his piece of art. We are his, we are his masterpiece. We are his, the word really kind of means poetry. We are the workmanship. We are the art piece of God. And we do work. This is, this is what one, one um, commentary says. This is what salvation is for. Salvation is to redeem us. So now we, we go and be Jesus in the world that we're in. We're in Christ, and we take that in Christness everywhere we go. We are saved Yes, for good works. First John, or John chapter 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we, we live out, we walk out, we work out this salvation. Not perfectly. Some days it's one step forward, two steps backwards. 
Every day there is sin crouching at the door. Every day there is when I, when I want to do good, evil is right there present with me. Right? We still battle. But there is a desire now to live and to obey Christ. Notice how this paragraph ends. Uh, verse, verse 10 ends that we should walk in them. Okay, so you see the word walk there at the end of verse 10? Look back in verse 2 and see, look for the word walk at the beginning of verse 2, in which you once walked. So Paul is very intentionally, very purposefully saying, you walked this way, but God, by grace, through faith, and no works of your own changes you, so now you walk this way. You were walking this way, and God saves you, and now you walk this way. Our walk is changed. Our works are changed. So what? Okay, and this is conclusion, but my conclusion is kind of long. So hang with me. Here's the conclusion. So what? Works don't ensure us of salvation. By that I mean, your doing good things will not save you. You can't do better, work harder, do anything to save you. Works don't ensure us of salvation, but they do assure us of salvation. Do you understand the difference there? Your, your love for God, your, your desire to do the right thing, those, do, doing those things don't save you. But if God has truly saved you, converted you, changed your heart at the foundational level, then you will want to do those things. You will want to be in God's Word. You, you will want to gather with God's people in worship. You, he will change you at the level of your desires. Works don't, and maybe there's a better way to say it, but I hope I'm communicating it clearly. Works don't ensure us of salvation. They don't save us, but they do give evidence or assure us of salvation. I'm using the words insure and assure, and you might think, ah, oh, they're the exact same. I'm, I'm trying to differentiate, the, uh, use, a, use them to make a slight differentiation there. This theology, this understanding of the good news of the Bible is what fundamentally sets true biblical Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Many religions advocate faith plus works equals justification. Okay, do you see, I want you to see like a math equation up here. If I had a whiteboard, I would draw it out for you, right? Faith plus works equals justification. That's what almost every other religion in the world teaches you. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, right? Like just almost any other religion in the world says you need to have faith in whatever our deity is and you have to do these things. And if you will have faith and do these things, then hopefully you will have justification. And brothers and sisters, unfortunately, many Christians fall into this same trap. Because we, we feel like if, if everything else in my life that's worth having, I have to earn, well, then I have to earn salvation with God. But, but Christ has said, no, I've done 100% of the saving. You simply have to receive the gift. So, so world religion says faith 
plus works equals justification. But true biblically derived understanding of the gospel says this, faith equals justification that will result in works. Faith equals justification that will then result in works. There's danger and there's confusion because often we use similar terms. Different religions and different expressions of religions use similar terms. And this is where often extended conversation is so helpful when you're trying to reach someone with the truth of the gospel. If someone was asked, do you believe in salvation by grace through faith? Many people would say yes. But then if you ask, do you believe in salvation by grace alone? Through faith alone, that same person might say, well, no, our works contribute to our our salvation. But biblically, is that true? That is not true biblically. It's super clear in Ephesians 2. There's a lot of other places that we could look to make that point. Biblically, this isn't true. And why is this such a big deal? Why is, Jeremy, why are you making such a mountain out of what seems to be a molehill because, Jay, can you go back to the picture of the dudes? Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, go back, go back. Awesome. This is Jay working his magic mid-sermon. Faith plus works is what world religions would tell you. Faith equals justification. That will result in works is, um, is true biblical Christianity. Now go back to my picture of my families. Here's why this is so important, brothers and sisters. And again, please I don't know who these people are. They're not real people, but their stories are real stories. Because one of these families, they both look the same on the outside. They do the same stuff. They go to churches. They give money. They pray. The dads are good husbands. The men are good husbands. They're good dads. The wives, the family, right? Like you would look and you would almost say, man, like both of these are exemplary. And yet the reasons why one of them is doing the things that they're doing, is so that they can earn their salvation before God. Can you earn your salvation by being good? You cannot. You can't. Because at the end of the day, what you're trusting in is you and not a Savior. The other family is doing those things because they love the Christ who saved them. And they know all of my righteousness, it's like filthy rags. I, I will never be able to be good enough to like earn my salvation. I am trusting completely in what Jesus Christ did to save me. I'm not trusting in my own works. I'm trusting in Jesus. And because I know him and because I love him, yeah, we want to we go worship him on Sunday. And during the week, we like hanging out with Christian people. And this book that tells us more about him, yeah, we're going to read it some. Like, we, we're going to do these things, but not because any of them are going to gain us more favor. We, are, we already have favor with God because we're in Christ. And so externally, both of these families look the same. But internally, one of them is trusting themselves in what they're doing to get them to heaven, while the other is completely trusting in the work of Jesus. And then their lives are being lived out of this love and appreciation for him. That's why this matters so much, because those families are in here. 
those dudes are in here. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know who is whom. But I know that this passage is written for these families, for us to look at the Scripture and go, okay, like, what am I trusting in? Am I trusting in the fact that I'm better than most of the people that I know and that I minister at church and that I do these kinds of things? Or am I just simply trusting in Jesus, trusting in Jesus alone? The, the reason it's a big deal is because there is confusion. Salvation, and I think you've got this on the PowerPoint now, Jay, salvation is not of works, but salvation must result in works. Some would say, some people say, I prayed a prayer when I was five, but then they've gone on to live a godless life. I would say that they have no reason to have confidence that what they prayed when they were five has, was actually truly trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. See, praying a prayer when you're five and then trusting in your prayer that you prayed is actually trusting in a work that you did. Does that make sense? Like you're actually trusting in you for that. You're saying, I did a thing and I'm saved because I did a thing. The thing that I care about as I interact with you is in what are you trusting now? Are you trusting in your performance? Are you trusting in the performance of the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ? John Stott, famous Bible theologian, says this, good works are indispensable to salvation. Good works are indispensable to salvation, not as its grounds or means, however, but as its consequence and evidence. Good works are, an indisp are indispensable to salvation. And if that was the only part of the sentence, we'd be like, whoa, 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 what do you mean? And then he says, not as its grounds or means, however, but as its consequence, as its evidence. Paul said it long before John Stott said it. By grace you have been saved. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works. Look in verses 9 and 10. I want your eyes to see this. Salvation is not a result of, what's the next word? Works. I want you to see the word works with your eyeballs in the, in the Bible. Salvation is not a, result of or, uh, yeah, not a result of works. Verse 8, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good what? Yeah, say the word. Works, right. So we, we have to understand. We are not saved by our works. But when we are saved, God has saved us to do good works. Does that make sense? I want it to just be I want it to be so clear. And in conversations with folks in recent months, I've realized it's not crystal clear in everyone's heart and mind. So, Bill and John, let's put Bill and John back up there, Jay. One believes that the gospel is good advice. The advice that he needs to live in such a way as to earn God's favor so that he might possibly be saved. But the other believes that the gospel is good news. It's the good news that Jesus Christ has done everything to earn salvation and that this salvation can be had by grace through faith. On the outside, both of these families look the same. 
but what they believe and why they do what they do makes all the difference. What they believe about what Christ has done makes all the difference. Did Christ do 100% of the saving for me so that all I must do is receive his gift of salvation? Or was Christ kind of a good example that now I have to try to follow and, and perform at that top level in order to make God happy with me? Friend, if you have never simply repented of sins and put your faith in what Christ has done for you, it's as simple as doing it in your chair, in your mind and heart, even now. You can simply say, God, I've been trusting in me. Forgive me for trying to earn salvation. And I'm going to put my faith in what Christ did for me. I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ to be the perfect liver of life, the one who died a sacrificial death for me. I'm, I'm trusting in him to be my Savior, my Lord and Savior. You can do that by praying a prayer out loud. You can do that praying a prayer quietly there in your seat, in your heart and mind. You can talk with me or any one of the other, uh, a number of men or women here afterwards about this. The gospel is good news. Have you been saved by grace through faith, or is your life one that's marked by trusting in your own good works? I'd ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes now, and I'm going to ask the music team to come. We're going to close with a song here in just a moment, but if, Paula, if you wouldn't mind just playing for just a moment on the piano, and if there is someone here this morning, and you think to yourself,